Welcome into Mustache, a drinking podcast. Andrew and Quinn here as usual. Big week this week. We're rotating away from beer a little bit. It was a fantastic couple of weeks talking about beer, and we're very glad you joined us for that. But we're going to rotate to gin. This is the... Say it. Say it. Call it our mini beeries. <sighs> Fuck off. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I refuse to, to, to steep to such treachery. But the mini beeries <laughs> were so good. God damn it. Anyways, we're moving on to gin, the unofficial official liquor of England, which will come into high, high praise as we move on in this episode. But Quinn, let us start out with drinks today. What are you drinking? So I am drinking a gin that I think is pretty new. Um, I've talked about my love of Tangeray Rampour, their uh, Rampour Lime Gin. Well, they now make one with Seville Oranges, uh, which I thought the best Negroni was made with a prickly pear gin. Nope, it's the Seville Orange Gin. It's perfect. Uh, But today I'm just drinking it neat, room temperature, because it is that good. You're insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane. So right away, it it is in that kind of type of gin that's a sipping gin, which is something that's really starting to become more expanded, uh, that gins are not just something to be mixed, but like a good whiskey or a good tequila or a good mezcal or brandy, they can be sipped. And this one is, so on the nose... It's definitely, you know, got juniper notes. It's really botanical, but the taste, it has just a little underlying sweetness that hits at the same time as that Seville orange. And it's almost like someone squeezed the like perfect amount of orange essence into my drink. It's light on the mouth. It doesn't burn really at all a little bit. On the swallow, you feel it in the back of your throat. Like it, it's not astringent, so you don't feel like burning your tongue. It's almost like it's not as thin as water. It has a higher gravity, so it it does have more sweetness to it. It has more mouthfeel. Syrupy is the wrong word, but it, it kind of has that to it. So I'm swirling it. It leaves some lines in my glass, so there is, you know, clear that it has a sugar content um, because it doesn't just kind of wash away evenly, but it does streak a little bit. And it is, I'd say, almost like a peach color. And it's good. It's a peach uh, color. That's interesting. Yep. Well, it's just got the faintest tint of orange. Um kind of like a pink gin except it tastes nothing like a pink gin uh which we'll talk about pink gins in a little bit okay um uh, as you all know i made that interesting i'm just looking at the price of that bottle of uh tangeray because it's not even on their website i want you to know that really it wasn't on their the rangpur or whatever it was it was and I see it in there, 
in Great Britain's website of Tangare. How did you find that bottle? I found it at the liquor store sitting next to the Rampore. Interesting. I was going to pick up the Rampore and I saw this next to it and went, mm, okay, I'll try you instead. That's and 100% uh, worth it. I actually had a friend call, like we were playing D&D and he called me up beforehand and was like, dude, guess what I found? Like what? I, they make an orange tangare. I was like, yeah, the, the civilian's like, how did you know before me? <laughs> like, it, it's literally new. I was like, yeah, oh my God. I, I think I got it when they first stocked it at my local liquor store. Oh my God. It, uh, I think it was like 29 bucks for a liter. It's not outrageous because it, it's hmm. a tangare. Maybe it was 35, but still that's not <laughs> absurd. I can't wait until you live a little closer within driving distance of a total wine. Cause then you'll just be able to experience all these different liquors and just have this whole range of things to buy. And that's not going to be good for your pocketbook. <laughs> when we do our tequila episode, I have a story about being angry in a total wine because I listened <laughs> to someone's advice and bought the worst tasting tequila of my life. Oh God. Uh, you don't listen to anybody who's working there. You just read the signs was, and peruse I yourself. I made of not listening to a guy who, like, so the guy saw me reaching for a bottle of Don Julio, and he was like, oh, I really like Don Julio. You want to know the, a trick, though? El Padrino. It's like five bucks less a bottle, just as good. Trust me, it's worth it. And I saw him, he grabbed two bottles. I think he worked for them. Um... <laughs> And I was like, okay, I, I guess I'll try this. Um, it's probably the only bottle of tequila I have spitefully gifted to someone. Oh, my God. Um, it, it was so bad. I was at a party about a year and a half ago, and uh, someone brought this, and they were talking about how good it was. And... Within 30 seconds of that, they vomited. <laughs> and I was like, you you drank El Padrino. He kept apologizing. like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, no, you don't need to apologize. You just need to apologize for defending a bad thing. <laughs> I love tequila. El Padrino is not good. <laughs> Got it. No sponsorships from El Padrino. <laughs> None. Actually, I want my money back. Sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you heard it here first. Don't drink that tequila. Um, number two, Total Wine is awesome, and you could totally yes. sponsor us. Uh, oh, number please. three, oh god, that'd be amazing. Number three, um, uh, I am drinking my own gin again. Uh, I haven't finished it. It's not moldy, I don't think. But I guess we'll find out if I'm vomiting tomorrow. So, um, but I've already talked about it on the show. It's fantastic. It's got that hint of lime. It is two dollar gin. Uh, which should be really bad. Should. <laughs> but um, luckily, it's just sale gin. And it was steeped with those kiwis for, what did I say, three days or something like that? Uh, yeah, that's what you were saying. Fantastic. God, this, this gin is amazing. But I'm not going to sit on it because I've already told you guys about it. And infuse your own gins. God, infuse your own gins. Because gin is a good flavor on its own. But if you add a little bit of fruit to that... Uh, it can always improve it as we're talking about the orange, as we're talking about the limes, we're talking about the kiwis. 
infuse some fruit in your gin. It's super easy. It only takes a couple of days and you get a little bit more flavor in your gins. Um, other than that, Quinn, we are talking about gin today and uh, you want to dig us right into their history. Start us off a little bit. Yeah. So um, starting off with their history, uh, gin's introduction to the UK, um, to England, because it wasn't the United Kingdom at that time, um, came actually from a war that they were fighting with the British in Belgium. Uh, and this is when British soldiers were introduced to Genevieve, um, which there's some debate on whether Genevieve is a predecessor to gin, whether Genevieve is a type of gin, whether or not gin is just an English translation of the French word Genevieve or Yenevier. Interesting. Um, it's taste-wise similar, a uh, bit maltier though, and it doesn't have the same kind of astringent feel that you'll feel you'll get from a London dry gin. Uh, kind of in between there and a catch-all term, um, there is again there's a lot of debate when it comes to types of gin. Um, which could be for the fact that gin and vodka are the same thing, except for either gin is an is a botanical vodka or vodka is an unfinished gin. Um, they're both clear oh. grain alcohols, and they're made in the exact same process, except for the introduction of botanicals and spices into gin, where vodka is kept plain. It's completely different, though. I mean, like, I understand your basis. The process of making it is the same. Sure. The but, process, the grain. But adding those juniper berries and those spices and those other things completely changes the drink. Oh, yeah. It, one of them is good and the other is unfinished. <laughs> I would say that gin is botan botanical vodka. I would say that vodka is unfinished gin. <laughs> But really, we're saying the same goddamn the same thing. thing. <laughs> the exact same thing. Um, and what we really think of as gin is London Dry Gin. Uh, it gets this name because uh, this started to appear at the same time that um, coffee stills were introduced. Uh, the first iteration of column stills. So essentially a still that is just super tall and allows you to um, pull out and then go into uh, what is known as a gin basket. Uh, think of just a massive tea bag sitting at one end of the still where the condensing alcohol drips down through the mixture of botanicals. And because of that high heat, it extracts so many of the essential oils and without the introduction of sweetnesses from juniper berries, and so it's drier. Uh, it has less sweetness to it. Um, drier meaning lower gravity. And that's why you get such a strong juniper taste in um, dr like London dry gins, where London dry gin actually has nothing to do with where it's made. It's simply a style. Hmm. Um, that then moves into 
the next iteration, which is Plymouth Gin. This used to be really popular. However, currently only one brand of it exists today. Uh, this brand actually still uses a pot still, so it's different than a dry gin or a London dry gin in that it uses a pot still, so more of a classic still, the like almost teardrop-shaped one when you classically think of an alcohol still as opposed to a column. Um, and it's a much earthier taste. There's then pink gin. Uh, so this actually comes from the British Navy finding that Angostola bitters were actually really useful to give to sailors to prevent illness and scurvy. Uh, however, sailors didn't want to drink straight bitters. I wonder why. Bitter. Uh, so instead, they mixed it into gin, and that caused the gin to have a pink color. Um, I haven't had any. Uh, I was watching a video on a tasting today, and uh, the one that he was tasting, uh, he, he didn't enjoy. He, he termed it as fishy. Uh, but not a right. good kind of fishy. Is there a good kind of fishy? Uh, yeah, when you're eating fish. Yeah, but you're not going to describe it as fishy. You know what I mean? Like, I if you describe salmon as fishy. I mean, oh, I guess. It's a fishy fish. It is a fishy fish. But once but tuna like... gets fishy, don't eat that tuna. Oh, God. My <laughs> stomach's turning. Um, and then you get to your slow gins, so like a slow gin fizz. I had no idea for the longest time what a slow gin fizz was. I thought it was just like cool naming as like, oh, it's a really thick drink, so it slowly fizzes. No, uh, slow is spelled S-L-O-E, um, and it's actually a botanical gin, so like a London dry gin or any other version for that matter but with berries introduced. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would be a essentially a berry version of what I'm drinking today. Um, then you get your horned drinks. Uh, these are gin liqueurs. Um, they're gins that are below that 50% or 50 AB or yeah, 50 proof mark to constitute a liqueur. So they're a bit sweeter. Um, they're around the same level of botanicalness. However, they, they naturally have a lot more sweetness to them. And then you have your old Toms. This, there's a lot of eh, back and forth on where the name actually comes from. I haven't been able to find really anything in particular to explain the name. Um, but you can treat it kind of as like a catch-all for a gin that doesn't quite fit into any of the other categories. Um, and so, Andrew, I know you had some interesting facts about the last time gin was really popular and how it actually led to a prohibition in the UK. Yeah, well, you know, when we talk about the prohibition, the... Uh, the reason we picked the name for even the podcast is we always think of the U.S. prohibition, which was obviously a lot bigger. I didn't even know this existed until we did our research uh, here today. But 
there's been two gin acts actually. Uh, the first one eh, didn't work. So the gin act of 1736, it imposed uh, high taxes on retailers and led to riots in England. And it was gradually reduced until it was abolished in 1942. And uh, they didn't like that, obviously. And they came back in 1740 or 17, yeah, 1742, excuse me. 17, okay, I was about to say that went a long time. No, yeah, 1742. And then they tried it again, and this time it was a lot bigger. It was 1751, and it forced their distillers to parliamentary came up with a measure to crack down on spirits consumption. So they were trying to stop it being drank altogether, um, probably because it was it was seen as a poor person drink, and it was causing all kinds of problems over uh, over in England. They raised the taxes on it again, fees for retailers, and made license impossible to get. Uh, to to make it and in in combination with this what they did is they pushed beer sales and tea so they pulled the gin and pushed beer and tea in front of everybody to try to get them to do this instead and you know it, that's at the same time they were advertising barley wine hmm from last episode yeah exactly trying to get this new thing out and trying to pull gin off the streets um but it took 80 years for beer to actually become cheaper than gin. So wow. it took so long for this to happen. And by at that time, years later, of course, uh, beer started to become more popular. But this uh, act of 1950 or 1719, 1751, it made it so you distillers had to sell to licensed retailers. And it brought... Uh, gin shops, which were popular back then, gin bars, which are still a thing in England, it brought them under uh, jurisdiction of local of local authorities, so they could come in and uh, kind of crack down on the place and selling gin. And it, it was in the 18th century that those pot stills you were talking about um, kind of gained popularity, and we got what we call London Dry Gin. Yeah, the column stills. Mm-hmm. No, the pot stills. Oh, sweet. Excuse, excuse me. That 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 London dry gin fact was wrong. It was it, they started to use pot stills, which made it sweeter than the London gin we know today. That's what I meant to say. Okay. So a fun bit of it might actually be true history. It might not, but it's just kind of fun. Um. So there's stories that during this time of heavy regulation of gin, that there were essentially speakeasies where you drop a coin and they would pour out a shot of gin through the pipe for you to catch in your mouth, a glass. (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't think this is real because there had to be better ways to do it. No, Um, this is probably real. And I feel like that's a really easy way to get caught. (laughs) Not if they can't see where the pipe goes to. Fair, <laughs> but but they at least know that the, the pouring action is happening from above. <laughs> Unless somehow we have anti-gravity gin. Ooh. Did you say anti-gravity gin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the coming from hell. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. 
And so a quick segue then over to the U.S. Um, during the American Prohibition, a term called bathtub gin became a thing. Um, so this is a term for homemade gin. And there's actually a number of different like mob affiliated groups at that time who would pay just households to make gin for them. They'd then buy that gin weekly and sell it at their speakeasies um, or distribute it to their underground liquor stores and whatnot. And uh, so some interesting things with the gin that they were using, they would, or the alcohol they were using to make this gin and why bathtub gin has a bad name for itself is uh, a lot of them were using um, alcohols that were maintained legal. However, what uh, the government was doing to them was they were adding in smells that made them really disgusting or tastes that made them disgusting as well as poisons. And so lots of people were making gin in their bathtubs and just trying to make it strong enough with botanicals to hide the fact that it was poisonous. Um, and so that's why bathtub gin, uh, probably less so now, but like, I, I can remember as a kid, my grandma would mention it in terms of like something bad. Um, and it, it was because it had a history of making people sick or killing them. Um, but on that note, if you want to make your own gin at home, infuse your own gin, it's actually not that hard. Uh, so what you'd want to do is start with a high proof liquor because you're going to water it down at the end, as opposed to using a still. I'm not going to encourage people to still at home. It's dangerous. Uh, if you do it wrong, you're sitting on a bomb and it's, it, it could potentially burn down your house. Uh, that's why distilling indoors is never recommended. Um, and why, honestly, don't do it if you can just buy Everclear, infuse it with cardamom, juniper, um, a little bit of wormswood, and uh, some other botanicals, including uh, lime and orange zest, and then water it down until it hits that uh, either 60 or 70 proof mark that you want it to. Or more. Or, or more. <laughs> I, you hit on slow gin for a second, um, and I couldn't pop in because you moved a little quickly, but slow gin is not gin at all. It has no, the taste is nothing like gin. It's still a and gin, though. It, it technically is, sure, but we had it at one of the restaurants I worked at. And it, um, as, a, as a newer server, when I saw it, I was like, oh, gin, click, sell. And if the bartenders weren't paying attention, you know, they just pour the drink. And then you bring it out to a slow gin and tonic and the table would be like, the fuck is this? Because it's not the right color. <laughs> and um, it tastes nothing like gin. And I remember I, I, I had a table... I had a bartender go like, you know, this is not gin, right? And I was like, what? And they let me smell the bottle. And I'm like, that smells nothing like gin. It's like berries. And I was so confused. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. It is actually just a gin, but with an introduction of berries into that Which infusion process. Uh, kind of like how flavor. a Genevieve 
is a malted version of a gin, which in a way also takes over. There's just such a wide spectrum of gin. Um, because the because it, it's a botanical grain alcohol. Yeah. So you can do whatever you want, basically. Yep. That's but actually also why lots of distilleries, when they open up, they immediately start to make gins. It's actually one of the main ways whiskey distilleries in their first 10 years, why they can stay open. Because they make gin. Yep. Because gin, <laughs> it takes you a year to two years to make a whiskey. It can take you 10. Well, they need that's something true. to sell in those first couple of years. And that's, that's gin and vodka. Like I think Norseman Distillery is almost to the point where they might have a whiskey and Panther Distillery up near Duluth has just released a whiskey. And I think they've been open for 10 to 15 years now. Really? Yep. Interesting. So we're going to wrap up this one. I have a little quiz for you. Oh boy. Uh, just to test your knowledge of gin. Some of these we went over, some not. Um, so the first one is, how much juniper does a spirit need in it to qualify as gin? Fuck. Um, a, at least 51% of all botanicals by weight. B, at least 25% of all botanicals by weight. C, enough to make juniper a dominant flavor. Or D, any amount. Enough to make juniper a dominant flavor. That is correct. Beautiful. Uh, the base of gin must be wheat, malt, a grain-neutral spirit. Wheat, malt, or a grain-neutral spirit is what I'm going with. Yep. Uh, essentially, a vodka is a neutral grain spirit. And gin is a botanical neutral grain spirit. Okay. Which one of these is not a relative of gin? Genevieve, absinthe, old Tom, or slow gin? Um, do you want to say the question again? Sorry. Which one of these is not a relative of gin? Absinthe. Genevieve. That is correct. It is not absinthe. Oh, it's not even it close. <laughs> absinthe contains like no juniper in comparison does it, it has hello wormsworth does it can any contain any it can depending on the mix mm, since it's a herbal liqueur depending on the type it can be very different okay okay uh where is gin made england scotland japan america or anywhere 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 is correct. All right. Here's a fun one, and I'd love it simply for the name. How strong is Navy Strength Gin by ABV? 51%, 53%, 57%, 63%? Um, uh, I feel like it's in the 50s. Let's say... What were your 50s? What were the 50s choices again? 51, 53, or 57. 57. That is correct. Oh, yes. You're doing pretty well. Uh, that one was luck. 
That <laughs> <laughs> one was all luck. <laughs> how long must a barrel-aged gin rest in a cask? There is no legal minimum. Three months, nine months, one year. One year. Uh, so to be barrel aged, it simply needs to age in a barrel for a period of time. Damn so it. there is no actual amount that it has to age. Damn could, it. In, in theory, it could be aged for a day. Wow, that would be so dumb. <laughs> yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> oh, my God. In the 19th century, British soldiers popularized GNTs to avoid what disease? Um, scurvy? Uh, so the options are scurvy, tuberculosis, malaria, or hay fever. Did you say GNTs? I'm going to stick with scurvy. Actually, you're incorrect. Um, to prevent scurvy, British sailors would drink punch. Bitters. Um, oh, and bitters, um, which punch was actually a recipe that was picked up in India, again from pancha, meaning five. Uh, but British soldiers actually drank it to help prevent malaria. Hmm. Did it work? Um. So quinine uh, inside tonic does help prevent malaria. Um, however, the addition of sugar and alcohol um, was simply to palatize it. Um, okay. So that was actually a later addition uh, along with the carbonation. Hmm, interesting. But so mixing quinine. Uh, with gin. Okay. All right. Congratulations. I don't think you got any of those wrong. You got one wrong. I got two wrong the last two. You got two. two wrong? I got seven okay. right. Good job. I'm impressed. Thank you. Me too. That's better than uh, I did in most tests in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's better than we did in the uh, the beer test. Oh, God. When we took that alongside Blair. Jesus. What did Blair get two right and we got zero? Uh, we each got one right. Ah, uh, yes. And he got two right, or we each got two right and he got three right. Yeah. Out of five. Or out mm. of six. It was embarrassing. That was the Guinness test, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. The how well do you know Guinness? Ah, what a joke. <laughs> Apparently, not at all. Not at all. We Sorry failed. God, if I retook that test today, I would do just as bad, if not worse. I have no idea what that test was. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, my God. And, Quinn, is there anything else? I have one last bit of fun fact for everyone. Hit me with it. Um, in my research, I found uh, in 2008, Sip Smith was granted England's first official gin distiller's license since 1820. Wow. 1820, they didn't let anyone open. That is a closed government-controlled market right there. That is insane. That is crazy. I have not heard much of Sipsmith at all. And 
it talks about a place called the Distillery on London's Portobello Road along with it, but I don't believe they own that building as well. Um, but it's a hotel, a boutique hotel and gin destination. Like I said, gin bars are very popular in England, and the gin over there is very good. Very good. But yeah, that was my, uh, that was my fun fact. I actually have a fun fact for you as well. Okay. Um, so did you ever hear about the Bombay Sapphire recall in Canada? Uh, no. So Bombay Sapphire is supposed to be 80 proof. It was recalled by the Canadian government (laughs) because it was too strong. How strong do you think it was? What, what's the proof? Uh, it was... Or give me uh, the percent of alcohol. Your, it, was your a hundred, it was 160 proof, wasn't it? It was double, wasn't it? Um, it was almost double. So it went from 40% to 77%. So 80 <laughs> proof to 144 proof gin. I would never give that bottle back. Uh, there were, uh, from what I've heard there were scalpers buying it up as fast as they could once it was announced before it got recalled. That's amazing. Um, I don't know why you'd want a gin that strong, but I guess, honestly, all you have to do is add water to it uh, because that's what didn't happen in their distillation process. It didn't get that additional amount of water added at the end uh, to drop the proof to 80 proof from 144 amazing <laughs> almost 151 strength wow god damn that is beautiful what a mess up but that's gorgeous right i believe it sells in the u.s at 94 proof as well bombay okay yeah they have mul- they have a higher proof bombay but I don't know why they wouldn't want to sell something that was higher because it, people would buy it. Yeah, I think there were some regulations. No, obviously not and, that high. Like th- uh, that's way too high. But I th- there's probably also some tax implications for them to sell something that strong. Okay. Um, oh, however, suppose, one of the major issues for them is that they were sold in bottles, saying that it was 80 proof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fortunately, no one reported any serious illnesses or accidents related to it. Um, I do expect there are a number of people who uh, had a bit too much without expecting it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably got, uh, oh, wow, this gin knocked me on my ass. I only had two drinks. <laughs> Little did I know. I had four. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Interesting. 47% version is standard for sale at duty free stores in all markets. So you can only get 47% at the airport. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Well, Quinn, is there anything else we want to hit on for gin? That's all I got. All right. Well, uh, well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, it's been a wonderful episode. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Quinn, is there anything else you want to hit? Uh, is there any goodbye you'd like to say here? Um, I mean, look at, you know, infusing your own. 
we've talked about in the past. Second. It's a lot of fun. It's delicious. Um, or even look up the different botanical mixes you can do to make your own gin out of a vodka at home or out of an Everclear or some other neutral grain spirit. Because, you know, I, I think I might actually do this in the next couple of months here. Try and infuse my own gin. And uh, we'll see how bad it turns out. <laughs> what if you took like 151 Everclear? Yes. You, that, that was actually what I was recommending. And then uh, you... was using a high-proof Everclear. But... And then you water it down at the end of the infusion process. Because the more alcohol you have, the more oils it's going to pull out of your botanicals. Hmm. What if you don't um, have the water? <laughs> then it's going to be super strong and really potent in flavor and probably not very enjoyable. <laughs> um, at that point, why aren't you just drinking the 151, in my opinion? Uh, because <laughs> you went through all this, process, uh, all this work to make something taste good. Um, you might as well take that extra... 50 seconds to add a little bit of water to it to make it taste good. All right. And with that, as I'm always remember to drink responsibly. If you're going out to out to drink, get a ride. Don't step behind me if you've ever had anything to drink. And that number as always is 1-800-662-HELP. 1-800-662-4357. If you or anybody you know is dealing with any alcoholism type things or struggling with their drinking again, thank you and have a wonderful rest of your night. See ya.